to another episode of Lie, Cheat, and Steal, the podcast about liars, frauds, thieves, and bullshitters. I'm your host, Pat Soroyes. With me, as always, my co-host, Kath Barbadoro. Hey, Pat. How's it going? It's going good. Uh, just down here in the post, uh, post-Omicron wasteland of Austin, Texas. Yeah. Happy uh, New Year. I know you... It was Christmas, right? That you tested positive, like right before uh, Christmas? No, December 23rd. December 23rd. I, I positive, yeah. Man, I had, it was like the, a horrible couple hours. So my car I just got, I was driving uh, down on MLK by like by Mater Road, by the old sandstone hood. Mm-hmm. They had this construction going on. There was something in the road, and I couldn't veer out the way because they had mad cones, and something went up and caught the oil pan on my vampire car. Oh, my <laughs> and gosh. Yeah, and I was like, oh, shit. And I was on my way. I was literally going to go to my grandma's 90, uh, her 93rd birthday party. Man, uh, it didn't even like ruin you doing something like bad for you or something. It yeah, ruined yeah. like the most wholesome. Yeah, like you're on it, your way to like do something really nice. And then... yeah, I was gonna. It was my, yeah, my grandma's our 90th birthday. It was a surprise party, and like, uh, I was, I was driving up there, and then I, my my like my oil just starts gushing out of the bottom of my car. And I don't, you don't notice that at first. You're just going, and I was like, I was like, oh, the car feels like it's running a little weird. And then the check it, check oil light or oil change light came on. I was like. Okay, I just bought the car. Maybe it is time for an oil change. I don't know. Maybe they just didn't do that. And then by like the next stop sign, it was like just smoking right about the hood. Oh and I my was gosh. like, yeah. Well, it's so honestly, and then later that day, you tested positive. I te- for COVID, yeah. So right? if I had gone, I, I right. may have been, yeah, I may have, uh, you know, been the, the, the person with COVID at my grandma's 90th birthday party, which nobody right. wants to be that guy. So, so yeah, like, it, it sounds like it actually did work out for the best, even though it was an yeah. a, re- a really annoying day. Yeah, it was, man. And like, th- thankfully, like, like knowing so many people through comedy is so dope because I just post that shit. I was like, hey, my car's on the side of the road and I can't deal with it face to face because I just tested positive for COVID and a very nice member of the Austin comedy community uh, whose business deals with a, uh, a mechanic place all the time and gets free towing. Just had my shit taken there and then they were like, hey, we can't deal with that. It's a Volvo. But it was nice of the gesture. Very <laughs> so, nice. Yeah. yeah. How yeah, about, yeah. Uh, so how are things up there in, uh, in New York? How are you doing? Um, I'm good. Things are, I'm miraculously have not had COVID yet. We'll see. Maybe by the Soul time this survivor. comes out. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. Just, yeah. I'm like the last one. I feel kind of uncool. It's like, what am I? <laughs> I thought I had like a fairly full social calendar, but, uh, I don't know. I, I never tested positive. And now, now it's like this weird sort of limbo where like people aren't really locking down because it is, it does feel sort of inevitable. And like, you know, everybody yeah. I know is, is vaccinated. And so we know it's not going to be that bad. Like I literally just went to the doctor and, and like got my first physical in a really long time. And they did a million like blood tests and they were like, you're very healthy. You, you know, you're like, yeah, things are good. You have nothing to worry about. So I'm just like, <laughs> I, I just feel like I'm definitely going to get it, but it's this weird limbo of like, I don't want to, make my friends feel irresponsible by like asking them to go hang out (laughs) somewhere you know what i mean like (laughs) like i i feel okay like going to a bar or something because i'm just like well i'm going to get sick i might as well do it right now where like work isn't that busy or whatever but like yeah yeah, but i have no one to go with because either everyone does have covid or is like you know hiding so it's a little weird it's a little weird up here but you know, yeah. hopefully our podcast can provide you some levity during yeah, your lockdown man. if you're stuck inside. So, yeah. Yeah, that's what we try to do, man. I, you know, it also, like, shout out, like, we've been getting a lot of engagement with the fans lately. It's just, like, or listeners. Uh, Jerry's still out there fans. fans. They, 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 they we, definitely we, we listen. Fans. <laughs> so, yeah, we get, like, a lot of engagement the with you guys. Stands. It's cool. It's cool as hell, man. You guys have been like, like, like the the Discord chat is like going crazy. So if you're out there, you're thinking about signing up for the Patreon, you get access to the Discord chat, which is popping. I'm like, like, I was like, oh shit, I get to check it. There's they're funny and they get to see all sorts of cool heads up on scams. Pretty tight. Yeah, group. y'all been hitting us up on Twitter. It's just been it's been fun, man. So uh, yeah, if you like if you like ta- chatting about scams, definitely yeah. get on that get on that Patreon. Patreon.com/slash/lie/cheat/and/steal. Yeah. <laughs> If everyone in your life loves NFTs and you can't mock them mercilessly without like <laughs> ruining friendships, like God, come on in. Come we're, on over, yeah. Yeah, the memes are hot. Um, <laughs> so we're we're our years off to a pretty good start, you know, uh, relatively speaking. Who's 
year is not off to a good start, I would say, um, is a uh, old friend of the show, Ghislaine Maxwell. Uh, mm. like, Don't. Yeah, that no. was a joke. We are not yeah, the joke friends. Yeah, we, of, we are not on the flight logs. Like, please. <laughs> I need to make it clear. I, I'll go as far as to say Ghislaine Maxwell, enemy of the show. Enemy uh, of the show. Yeah, Absolutely enemy of the for show. For sure. I'll say that. <laughs> I'm not scared. Um <laughs> I just don't make it out of this episode. I'm fucking dead before we stop recording. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she now, yeah. she was um, hiding out in my home state of New Hampshire. I remember That's where they that. found yeah. her. And um, th- so, like, when she was apprehended in New Hampshire, and my dad is a judge in New Hampshire, and thankfully he didn't have to do it but he almost because like when someone's apprehended like that in new hampshire and they're they're being sent to another state it has to get like signed off on by yeah, expedition or extradition shit you know exactly yeah so like um thankfully it wasn't him but he almost my dad almost had to do that and if he had done that i i would have had to quit twitter like i would have yeah. had to just <laughs> like i would have had oh, to change no. my name like it would have been an absolute nightmare like people oh, would absolutely shit be yeah just the, the conspiracy people would be going completely apeshit on me and but thankfully it was just an accident of like the order of rotation like he wasn't up oh, man, to do that... the thing thank <laughs> god thank that god that is insane i i didn't even think about it. i was like oh yeah who wants to even be connected to that and then i was like oh wait <laughs> yeah like that would have been bad yeah and oh, like man. all, well, all yeah. he would have done was like sign a form. Like he wouldn't uh, be the trial. Like there's yeah, no yeah. like he wouldn't have heard the case or anything. But that would have been enough. I know. That would have been the the colonel. Yeah, dude. Yeah, like 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 conspiracy Twitter where they get. I remember there's this whole thing and they said like one of the the um one of the the Chapo guys. They were like how they they were like actually those guys are CIA plants and not like yeah it, it, yeah it, it, I've it heard gets, that one yeah yeah it can like like if somebody gets their, their teeth into that they can go go in on you man well glad we we dodged that bullet dodge that um, bullet thank God so yeah so yeah Ghislaine Maxwell uh definitely you know sentenced I what was the sentence I was like like a hundred thousand goddamn years or something like that <laughs> it was something crazy I I know she was found guilty but I don't know if there's a sentence yet. you're right it hasn't been a but, sentence yet she was just found yeah, guilty yeah but she's yeah. she's she's been found guilty so she will be. <clears throat> Assu- assumingly she will you know spend some time some more time in the slammer yeah, uh, oh, yeah I would it looks like there's a likely prison term of 40 years but we don't know yet so oh yeah. okay yeah well hey uh, hey glenn if you if you're out there hang in there ha huh? get us a that was a joke uh don't, please don't, don't. we need yeah, you to no, name names do not yeah, hang yeah. in there yeah, we need you to get like six months of like just really like living that life and be like, okay, I'll say everything. Just right. please give stay, me some soap. Stay healthy until you can name names and then then hang <laughs> in there. <laughs> then hang in there, yeah. So yeah, so uh Glenn Maxwell, uh we I I was you know, obviously that's a you know wild story, but it's one of those things where people on the global stage very rarely just appear there. They they have lineages. So today I want to talk about uh, a man who embodies all three of the verbs in our podcast title, and that is the father of Ghislaine Maxwell, one mm. Robert Maxwell, a lion, cheating, stealing ass dude. And uh, one of these things where there's not even one particular like scam to grasp onto his entire life, <laughs> like from start to finish was a scam. It was just like this dude Hell was, yeah. yeah, he's all over the place. And so I, I see a little bit of stuff out there about him. And I don't know how many, Folks know, you know, kind of like the more the, the deeper details. So we're gonna get into it today. Yeah, I mean, Robert I like Maxwell. I I follow this like f- not super closely, but I I feel like I'm probably more familiar with this than the average person because I've been paying attention to the trial and stuff. And yeah. really, all I know about him is that he was very wealthy and very shady. That's pretty yeah, much all yeah. I know about him. And that and those, he died suspiciously. Yes, so yeah. Those I'm are excited all to get some three stuff very in def- for me here. defining traits. Yeah, let's get in. So Robert Maxwell. So. Robert Maxwell was a British media tycoon and publishing magnate who, before his questionable death in 1991, had managed to serve as both a spy and member of parliament, all while stealing over a billion dollars from rich and poor alike and unknowingly siring a fleet of equally sketchy offspring, one of whom is currently a central figure in one of the biggest and farthest reaching criminal conspiracies in modern history. So, um... Yeah, Robert Maxwell, decades before his youngest and most beloved child, Ghislaine, became aligned with... Uh, <laughs> most <laughs> beloved. And, and, and by him, is... I'm assuming, not by, not by the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just fan favorite, yeah, Ghislaine Maxwell. <laughs> she just gets, like, the fucking, like, the, uh, the Al Bundy cheer when she comes out on the set. Like, yeah! Yep, yep. <laughs> 
So yeah, uh, so before she became aligned with a convicted pedophile, Jeffrey Epstein, uh, Robert had positioned himself on the global stage, forging deep ties with the media and world governments, and having a direct hand in some of the most egregious abuses of power in the last century. Uh, he was the quintessential con man for his entire life. His charm and ruthlessness were the stuff of legend, and his sociopathic drive for success and near human levels of petty or near superhuman levels of pettiness allowed him to do more or less play on the entire world like a fiddle from birth to death, all while dodging any real consequences and eventually leaving out on one of the biggest fuck yous imaginable. So um, <laughs> this guy truly, it is like if you look at like the the parallels between him and Epstein. It's one of those just things of like, you know, like a girl getting with a guy that reminds her of, mm. of their dad. She and was a real daddy's girl. Yeah. Real yeah, yeah. daddy's girl. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think one quote that I found in my research of this, um, it's a business associate of Robert's once told him that he was, quote, the sincerest liar he'd ever met. And he said the guy was like Robert Maxwell was like, thank you. Like they truly took that wow. as a compliment. Yeah, yeah. He was just like, did you hear this nice thing this fella just said about me? So. <laughs> Now, Robert Maxwell was actually born uh, Jean Ludwig Hyman Benjamin Hoche uh, on the 10th of June. I get why you changed it. That's yeah. quite helpful. <laughs> it's all about branding, man. Uh, you have three middle names? Fuck out of here. So, yeah, that's too on much. The, yeah, it was the 10th of June, 1923. A, a, he was born into a deeply impoverished Orthodox Jewish family in the town of... Uh, Slonsky Doli in the former Republic of Czechoslovakia. I went there as a kid and that was like one of the times I really first saw like wild ass urban poverty. Like we were just mm. in the city and there was just like kids like running around barefoot in underwear and shit. It was, it was like yeah, Czechoslovakia was, in the 90s was a pretty tough Tough yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we went there on like yeah. a USO tour, and it was one of those things where, like, after we went, my family was just like, I remember my parents and their friends were like, "Yeah, don't go to the Czechoslovakia USO tour. That's that's just essentially going Grim into a stuff. war zone." <laughs> yeah. So he came in the world uh, at a very unfortunate time to be a Jew in Eastern Europe. He was, uh, mm. you know, uh, not not a good place to be in the uh, if you're born in the 20s and grew up, yeah. you know, in the 30s and 40s. So he uh, ended up uh, fleeing his home country in 1940, and he headed to France, where he joined a band of Czechoslovak resistance fighters in the French Foreign Legion. Uh, now, the rest of Robert's family wasn't as fortunate. Uh, get this out the way up top. Both of his parents and all six of his siblings uh, lost their lives at Auschwitz. Wow. So just yeah. he's the only one that got out. His wow. entire family. Yeah, his entire and, I mean, I, I get why that would set you up for a lifetime of spite. Like I'd be a I would be a flaming dickhead for the rest of my yeah, life. I'm yeah. a horrible person and some like minor things happen to me. Like and I'm a, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. If you give me that to lean into, oh I'm I'm, I'm never letting go. Yeah. So, like I you know, not to justify it, but it's like, yeah. okay, I understand how someone could maybe turn out that way given yeah, that history. Yeah. I would feel I would feel um, entitled to a, a, a working class nation's pensions as well, which we'll yes. get into later. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, you guys give me a little something, something. So, yeah. Now, like, if you like, if if he just I don't know, like, retired after all this, he was like a genuine badass in the war. He yeah. So he, 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 when France fell to the Nazis that same year, he was evacuated to Great Britain, and he essentially just hopped off the plane and was like, "Send me back." And like, uh, he ended yeah. up changing his name. He changed his name. Um, I believe the first name change was, yes, yes. He changed his name to Ivan de Maurier, uh, okay. chosen by the for the sole purpose of just sounding more British and less Jewish. Uh, yeah. And the theory behind the choice was that Ivan was just a, a popular British boy name at the time. De Maurier was a cigarette brand that he would have nice. more than likely saw out in the streets. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, should have gone with Joe Camel, buddy. That was a good one too. Uh, <laughs> So the war was relatively eventful for Robert. Like I said, he just hopped right back on the boat, going back over there. He ended up receiving the military cross for heroism and the heroism in the face of an enemy. Uh, and he also just um, got into all sorts of like combat. He was taken prisoner uh, and he just like always got the hell out of there. Like at one point they did a mock. The Nazis just were bored one day and did a, a mock trial that was supposed to end in, end in his execution. And he was actually mm -hmm. able to escape that. Uh, wow. so yeah, yeah, he was, he was, he was out there and putting in work. Uh, yeah, he also, so far so good. Like yeah. killing Nazis, killing and, Nazis. You know. Yeah, for sure. Um, you, you know, but you know, that never, you know, either, you either die a hero or you live longer, long enough to see yourself sire a woman who will aid a billionaire pedophile. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, for that's real. just how things go, man. So, uh, <laughs> now while he was over there, he met his, his first wife, uh, was Elizabeth, actually his first and only wife, actually. 
Um, it was the uh, Elizabeth Maynard, who, as is the type with uh, the first wives of so many colossally shitty men, was from a wealthy family. They always have a, a knack for doing that. Yeah, um, smart. Yeah, got to secure those resources, man. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, after the after the war, uh, he, he ended up changing his name again. He finally settled on. Uh, Ian Robert Maxwell, just Robert Maxwell. Power move, make up a name and go by your made up middle name instead of your made up first that name. That is, I feel like that <laughs> itself is like another sort of like rich British guy thing to do. So like yeah. I can imagine him crafting that being like, this is what rich British people do. They, they yeah, have yeah. two names and they go by their middle name. Yep. Yeah, 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 for Love sure. It. Yeah, he, he was like, oh, he was so upwardly mobile and like, to the point of like, so, you know, he's Jewish. It, it wasn't until much later in his life uh, when he felt that, uh, when he was having his decades long Henry Hill moment, uh, it was like, at that point he like really leaned into like heavy, like public displays of faith and gotten into like, you know, mm. um, maybe, maybe he just, you know, felt like he had alienated everybody in the world, including his own family. It was just like, fuck it, man. I was going to lean back into my religion, but he kept so that, that. So he pretty didn't, he didn't, let people know he was Jewish until much no, later. No, as, as I understand, it was like, I don't know if it was like an outright deceit where he would be like, no, no, I'm Christian, but it was just something he never talked about, never spoke yeah. about, never brought mm-hmm. up, you know? And he, uh, and yeah, yeah he, so he marries into this this family, Elizabeth Maynard. And now after the uh, after the war, he was in the, the occupied Germany and he worked for the British Foreign Office as a press officer. And he started to use his, his government position and his wife's family connections to start really trying to like break into like the ruling class of, of post-war Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, he saw post-war Europe as, an, as brimming with, a place brimming with opportunity and he became obsessed with the idea of controlling a resource that had been made scarce by the conflict which is uh, a smart plan. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, Robert didn't know what the resource was going to be, but he knew that he needed to find it. And he knew that if he found it and exploited it, that was going to be his ticket. So he always yeah. kind of had, it that wasn't as... a passion for anything in particular. It was, yeah. this is how I make money. Yeah. 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 My dream is to have a dream. And you know, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's his shit, man. So at this point, he also made himself a very appealing asset in the eyes of British intelligence. Uh, he was you know, like, he was charming, intelligent, and he spoke nine languages. Like, so that, like, yeah. well, he was like, yeah, very like he could, you know, he could move around in, the, in, in that world. And so he, he started getting kind of groomed by MI6 to be an intelligent officer, uh, uh, intelligence officer. And one day while he was, uh, he was, you know, in his office, a guy came in trying to look to see if the British press office would be interested in buying, uh, unpublished scientific journals that had been d- conducted by German scientists during the war. And they were basically, you know, nobody was publishing shit in the, in the war. It was, they were busy. So they, they, they uh, had all these, like this backlog of all these science journals. And of course, German scientists, uh, you know, no slouches themselves. So no, they, I mean, they were experimenting on Robert Maxwell's family members. Yeah, so yeah. They had a lot of data. That's those Nazi scientists were very busy. They were not busy um, doing good stuff, but they were. Very busy. It was just like his ego. He's like, is there something about me in there? Like, I just got to read that. <laughs> so the guy comes in and they said, Robert was like a, a total asshole. Like he could be charming when he needed to be, but more or less he was on it, you know, on asshole mode pretty sure. much 23 hours out of uh, 24 in the day. And so he, he said his initial reaction was to throw this guy out of his office, uh, which cause he said, he said that was his initial reaction to everything. Mm-hmm. And instead though, he started thinking, he's like, wait a minute, th- there's something here, you know, like, like I could, uh, I could, I could do something with this. Right. So, this is capital that is falling on my, yeah. falling on my desk. How can I exploit it? Yeah, of course. And this was a scarce resource that he could make himself the sole arbiter of. And that was scientific knowledge. Right. So he also knew the British government would be very interested in, interested in obtaining the unpublished findings of wartime German scientists. So he convinced the British intelligence agency to pay for the purchase of his company. And he was like, hey, it'd be really good if I owned this. And they did it. And they, I was watching an interview with like a, a former MI6 officer. And he was like, uh, he basically was like, yeah, we we never did that before or after. And they're like, why'd you do it? And he was like, I, I don't know, man. He was charming. Like, he didn't even know what to say. So- yeah. So he basically <laughs> talked, he talked the government into like making his company a front. Basically, it sounds like like yeah, so he would well, get was, all was, of that stuff and then give it to the British government to yeah. to look at. Okay. They had dibs on it. And another another um, benefit of it was that this would be a way is everybody wants to get published. So now he he has people scientists trying to get published and right. from everywhere. So he was a uh, he was also basically able to work with Russia because Russian scientists wanted to get published as well. Mm-hmm. So this was a keen move by the British government, but like 
also an unintentionally fortuitous move for Robert, seeing as how the KGB was very willing to cozy up with a British-owned publishing house, willing to highlight their scientists. They were like, here's a go-between where we can get all everybody's peanut butter up and everybody's chocolate. We can just really see what the hell's going on. Yeah. You know, both sides thought that. Mm-hmm. So... They do this, and of course, Robert positioned himself right in the middle of that, yep. and he was eventually like determined to be like um, a, a, a bad actor. It was viewed as a bad actor by the British government uh, because they were like, "This dude, what? Like, we can't prove it." But he's in a, in a formal report was like, "We can't prove it, but he's definitely bankrolled by the KGB." <laughs> Essentially, they're like, we "Yeah." Don't- so it <laughs> sounds like it's it sounds like he's doing sort of it's like in both spheres he's doing sort of the same thing. So like in the straight. In the non-spy world, he's becoming this, like, knowledge broker where you have to go through him in order to get your information disseminated. And then in the in the, in the spy world, he's kind of doing the same thing of, like, yeah. all of this stuff depends on me. So both yep. sides have to come to me in order to, to, like, get the scoop, you know, yeah. to get the knowledge. Yep. And that is just such, like... I mean, yeah, it's it's just like what a, what a position to put yourself in. That's that's just uh, like that, that's you know like that, that's a lot of power for one for one yeah. person to have. Very uh, powerful, you know, very very precarious too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's some that's some sort of Damocles shit right there. Where you're just like that yeah. can that can go real wrong real fast. So mm-hmm. uh, now, not a lot of concrete facts are known about what Robert got up to while simultaneously working with MI6 and uh, the Russians. But um, there was enough, as I said, for the uh, the British to label him as a bad actor. Yep. Now, one thing that was crazy was upon the Soviet Union's... Uh, at this point, he has, um, he has uh, also been elected to parliament. I Sorry, I forgot to, 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 to say that. So, oh, yeah, okay. Re- by the way, also in parliament. Yeah, by the right. way, also a member of parliament on the Labour Party, where he he because he claimed that he was uh oh that was my my sentence right here. It was during this time that Robert was able to get himself elected to parliament as a member of the Labour Party, although he assured his friends and associates that he was indeed conservative. He just needed to run on the Labour platform because of his outsider status. He's like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, this is what I got to do, guys. So he gets in there, and while he's in there, the Soviet Union invades Czechoslovakia in nineteen sixty-eight, and he was approached by a Soviet Soviet agent agent, and escorted to meet with the head of the KGB. And in that meeting, he assured them that he would argue on the floor of Parliament that Britain should tolerate the invasion. So it's like he's yeah, like he's really you know, like cozying up to like political strongmen. Uh, now, assuming this was the only time he dealt privately with the Russians, like that was just the only time in his life that he did it, uh, which I was doubtful. Uh, it was enough to elicit high praise upon his death by Gorbachev, who just who labeled him like like in a just an open mic on the street news report. He goes, "Hey, man, that guy was a great asset to the to the Russian government." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> always an encouraging sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, man, there's some people out there. If I die, just don't tell anybody you knew me, please. You know. Yeah. <laughs> So, now at this point, by 1969, uh, Maxwell was still functioning as the head of the publishing company that he had purchased with the MI6 money, which was called Pergamon. It had an older name. It was about a 138-year company when they came to him. And uh, and, and so he, he took it. He changed it to Pergamon. And that at this point, it was now like a privately ran but publicly funded company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... He was just the while, best kind, just yeah, taking, <laughs> taking all of our money and giving it to one guy to decide yeah. what to do with the and, best. Yeah, and, and none of our oversight. Yeah, we, yeah, yes. we have no say. No what, accountability, what but yeah. all of the money. Wonderful. So yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, always great when we set up society where it can just trickle upwards like that. It's just you know, yep. it's, it's so good. So yeah, at this point, uh, uh, Pergamon uh, appeared to be turning a profit. Its books were actually in disarray, and the company was on the verge of bankruptcy. So Robert kept this under wraps, which he will do for the rest of his life. He will not reveal any, anything bad happening to him financially, uh, literally until he, until he dies. So like he, he was never made it a habit to never do that, which again, not a dumb decision to do that. You know, don't let the haters see you sweat. Yeah. Make yeah. Them think you're, you know, <laughs> fake it till you make it. Just, yeah, man. they don't need to know about your failures. <laughs> yeah. Just going to give them fuel for the fire. They're going to use it against you. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're gonna use it against you. Like it's the law. Like, that's funny. That's, 
So Robert kept this under wraps and uh, and made repeated attempts to leverage the company into loans and investment uh, banks and well uh, into loans from investment banks and wealthy associates. So companies going under, he's still using the company as a bargaining chip to everyone who has money in their pocket. Uh, he actually approached another wealthy publisher named Rupert Murdoch, might have heard of the guy, uh, about investing millions in a printing and a printing run of high-end encyclopedia sets. Uh, Murdoch was like, yeah, that'd be a sure thing. He was all set to invest in the deal uh, until he mentioned it in passing to a mutual friend of them of theirs who was a little more privy to Pergamon's actual finances. And the guy just laughed. It was like, that's not good. No, don't give that dude money. Like, he's, that, that's not going to go anywhere. So Rupert Murdoch correctly assessed that Robert had just attempted to rob him of millions of dollars or pounds. Yeah. And yeah, he was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he dodged the bullet, but it, it laid the seeds for a, um, a very, uh, very deep rivalry between, between the two that would last, uh, you know, uh, Robert Maxwell's entire life. Okay. So, all the financial turmoil. See, the thing is, like, I mean, he's he's a scumbag so far, but also he killed Nazis and he doesn't like Rupert Murdoch. So I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. There's some redeeming qualities here. Yeah, he's he's not like it, it's. I mean, like, obviously, you look at like Ghislaine, who it's like it's very easy to form an opinion about what kind of person she is, you know. But like with him, it's like these aren't good things to do to people. But like, also, it's like I don't. I feel like he's doing the same shit everybody else in his position is doing. So it's like, I don't want to grade on a curve, but I got to be like, yeah, this well, is like par for the course, you know? I mean, I at least, I at least, I, I, I just appreciate the enemies he has. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also a scumbag, but at least he's making other groups of people and individuals that I think are bad upset. So that's Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's that. That's like, I think that's like, a, I would imagine like a sizable portion of Trump voters. They're like, I don't like the guy, but he's mean to the people I hate. Absolutely, percent. It is yeah. fully spite driven for so many of those people. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. I mean, yeah, they like judge a man by if you judge somebody by their enemies or whatever. You know, gives, gives you an idea of who they are. Mm-hmm. So at the so all the financial turmoil led to Maxwell losing Pergamon Publishing in 1970 uh, before eventually securing borrowed funds with which to purchase it back in 1974. This sale <laughs> initiated a cursory once-over of the company's finances by the British government, and the publisher, which had been worth $35 million in today's money, uh, was shown to be on the brink of financial ruin. So this very public scandal, coupled with his overt ties to the KGB, led the British government to declare him unfit to run a public company. He lost his position in Parliament, and all of this broke to the general public while he was embroiled in a widely reported feud against his arch nemesis Rupert Murdoch to buy the News of the World newspaper. And once this it was so interesting because, like, I I don't even know if like in America can anyone even be. De- deemed unfit to run a public company yeah. i feel like you're just like allowed and le- i guess like unless you're a felon or something which is like the worst arbiter because it just means that like you know people who are in jail for weed can't own dispensaries like it's a stupid rule but yeah. everybody else i feel like is just allowed like i can't yeah. it's just the idea that this guy actually lost his seat in parliament and was ruled unfit to run a public company is like that is more consequence than i was expecting him facing yeah, yeah, it, that that is that is uh, very funny. You know, maybe it's because, like he said, he's an outsider. You know, like he he said it himself. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Uh, although he seems like one of those guys that I got the vibe that he like fancies himself an outsider, and it's like, but you know, you're not. Like you're in, you're inside. It's like uh, you know, fucking when like you're like uh, like a conservative be like. Oh, you know, like uh, conservatives are like we're we're like oppressed and we can't say these things. It's like you have a whole news right. network. It's like what you like what are you what are you talking about? Like, it's it's kind of that thing where I feel like he he labels himself that because he needs it maybe for the drive, like to do the wild shit that he does. He has to feel like he's breaking into the, the, the big boys club. And it's like, mm. bro, you're in the big boys club. You're in fucking parliament. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, but he is, but he is also like a foreigner, you know, like Und- he yeah, does have understood. Yeah. like some, some stuff that make like, it's interesting. You said like he had to run on the labor ticket and because he was an outsider. I mean, it's like conservatives are only electing like Lords and barons and stuff. So like yeah. he doesn't have that. Like he didn't. I think he later gets a, a a title. I think he gets knighted or something. But like, at the at the time, like he didn't have any of that. So I, I can kind of yeah. understand where he's coming from. But you're right. It's probably also the reason that he uh, actually faced some consequence. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I can definitely see that. He uh, he. What's funny is when he was when he ran on the Labor Party, uh, when he got in there, his like, he pushed for like um. 
it was like like cartoonish supervillain shit. It was literally yeah. like let's let's eliminate school lunches anywhere where there was like any sort of public services. He wanted that take you know taken out, and he was just mm-hmm. you know it's just kind of funny because he ran the Labor Party, got elected, and then just uh, you know stripped everybody or attempted to strip everybody of their he rights. He was the which... he was the Kristen Cinema of his time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> proto Cinema, Proto Mansion. <laughs> Uh, imagine in an embryonic form. So I listen exactly. to a lot of ancient history podcasts and they call everything an embryonic form or something else. And <laughs> it's just in my head now. So, <laughs> so he did that. Yeah. So this, this, uh, this, once it was revealed that he was absolutely broke and that he was, you know, like in bed with the Russians, uh, pretty much he was able to, Murdoch was able to pull ahead of him in, in the race to buy the news yeah. of the world, the, the news of the world newspaper. And Robert suffered a very humiliating defeat in the public eye that kind of, didn't didn't take him out of action, but it took him out of like like you know he wasn't the the globe trotting billionaire that he that he had been, been positioning himself uh, as after that. Like it wasn't like he yeah. was in the public eye, he uh, but he was doing okay. He had a fifty three room mansion in Oxford, so he was doing okay. Yeah, he was doing all right. Like let's not go <laughs> crazy, but he probably yeah. yeah his his ego was was dampened a little. Yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. He for sure he was out to pasture. At least I, I can imagine that's what it, that's what it felt like. At this point, he he this is probably the, the time he focused the most on his family. Uh, he, that's when he started raising his like, I believe it's like four kids, five kids. He has a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Ghislaine of which is the youngest. Uh, mm-hmm. He has some sons that ran his businesses, but they said like it, life under him in the house was just awful. Like he was very verbally abusive to the mother. Uh, and he would do these things where like he would give them topics to research and they would have to present these topics at dinner instead of just having like normal conversations and shit. Um, yeah. Just, you know, wild psycho shit. Yeah, real psycho shit. So you know, he like I'm sure they were they were glad when he finally got uh so got got busy again. And this was in the 1980s, and this is this is the part that actually got me into doing because I was I was researching this story and I and I found out what a central figure Robert Maxwell was in this story, and that's what spiraled my research out. And have you ever heard of the Promise Software scandal? I have not. So yeah, so this is so we're gonna go into later about how he bought the mirror and he drank and he he, he ran into the fucking ground criminally, but like kind of like his like his sleeper like his indie album like like his, <laughs> his indie album side project was the Promise Software scandal. Uh, so yeah, after his humiliating fall from grace, Robert Maxwell eased into the 1980s, keeping a pretty low profile. But true to form, it wasn't long before he found himself mired in shady government dealings on a global scale. Mm, and his so, favorite. Yeah, yeah, his, fa- his favorite kind of shady dealings, global <laughs> scale. So he was, let's let's go back, we'll go back to 19, uh, 1980s, right, early 80s. Uh, this was called one of the most brazen and successful operations conducted uh, by uh, an, an intelligence government, a governmental agency. Basically, in 1982, a company called Inslaw, uh, they, they designed a software called Promise, P-R-O-M-I-S. And okay. it is like essentially the first like, Record keeping software. It made shit like, you know, like uh, when you, you go to the DMV and they can look up your records. It, it was those things like that and draw things from numerous databases and just like a real step forward in being able to like digitally categorize and store information. Mm-hmm. And they made this thing. It was, it was, uh, it was the, the, like they, they had a strong, they called it like the strongest, like, uh, software of all time, and it was 16 bit. <laughs> and like they, yeah. they later like upped the ante and made a 32 bit version. <laughs> it was just, it's just kind of funny. Yeah. So, they go, uh, so yeah, in 1982, uh, Inslaw releases this promise software to the U.S. Justice Department. And they make them promise, the U.S. Justice Department promise that they will not, uh, that, they, that, that they won't sell this to, or, you know, sell this to anybody else. They lease it to them. You know, it's like licensing software. And the U.S. government yeah. was like, yeah, dude, totally, we'll never do that. And then they did exactly that. Of course. Uh, yeah, they started selling copies of it. Well, now at this point, this is where it gets a little. Is this? Are they selling copies of it to like other governments and stuff? Yes, other or, to other okay. other other world governments. Okay. So now, according to the testimony of an ex Mossad official, uh, Ari bin Menashe, after a copy of Promise was obtained by mili- uh, by Israeli military intelligence uh, via direct collusion with the U.S. Justice Justice Department, uh, bin Menashe. Well, I mean, con- okay, you're gonna sell some some proprietary stuff to the U.S. Of course, they're gonna give it to Israel. That yeah, 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 yeah. Should go without saying what the yeah. what is America's is Israel. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're gonna we're gonna like give every, secret stuff goes all as of far our as fun weapons. Toys. Like, <laughs> it's gonna get to Israel. Let's just yeah. all we all know that. That's, that's probably what their defense was. They were like, well. 
you made us promise we wouldn't give it to anybody else, but it's Israel. Yeah, Israel is everything just to them. Yeah. <laughs> They're like those two yeah. kids in the like when you're in elementary school who are just obnoxiously close good friends. Like they just like share yeah. lunches and shit. You're like, what are y'all doing, man? Well, it's just like every like every sort of geopolitical like stance of the U.S. has to have an asterisk where it's like except Israel. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know we're against apartheid except yeah, Israel. Exa- yeah. We're against. Yep. Causing like you know further conflict in the Middle East, except Israel. Like just yeah, we're yeah. we're gonna we're gonna give them stuff. We yeah. they're yeah. our pal, they're our buddy. Yeah, the besties, besties to you know uh, to the end, and that and that was you know, no no less true back then. Uh, the now. When, once they uh, obtained their copy of Promise, uh, Ben Menashe con- contacted an Israeli-American programmer who lived in California, and this was uh, under orders of uh, Rafi Etan, who was the head of uh, the Mossad, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the uh, they, they basically got a hold of this, this Israeli-American programmer, and he planted a trap door into the software that would allow uh, the Israeli government to covertly access any database connected to a device on which the software was installed. This is mm. the early eighties probably didn't even cross a lot of people's minds. You know, like they're just like that, that, yeah. that, that would be something that could happen. So they, they put, they put it in there and they got to go out, but they're like, okay, only a few countries have this. We got to get this, you know, uh, we got to get this out there, you know, pop it, like, you know, get, get this, uh, get these copies sold. So yeah. they started like, well, who do we know who can take on uh, this this crazy underhanded sales push of this like poisonous Trojan horse software? And Itan was like, you know what? I think I know a guy, and that was our friend Robert Maxwell, ah. who had, who had been working with Israeli intelligence as far back as the 1960s. He was sure. a huge friend to Israel. At one point, like he went in there and met with the, the foreign government. They were just talking for a little bit. He just interrupted him and was like, "I'm in, I'm investing a quarter billion dollars in Israel." And they were like, yeah, come on with it. And so again, they, they, like for everything I just said about the U.S., another thing where it's like mm, Nazis killed your entire family. I, I can yeah. kind of understand why you'd be like more of a fan of Israel than me. I could imagine like, yeah, be like coming out of like the war in Europe and just being like, oh, yeah. oh, we got Israel's got a state now. I mean, yeah, I can. It's you. I can. It's human nature. I can understand being enthused about that and wanting to help, you know? <laughs> right. For sure. <laughs> No, yeah, you know, can't they can't necessarily fault him for it. That makes sense, you know. But he, so he was able to uh, to uh, get on board essentially as their salesman, and Maxwell went like around the globe, just crushing it with sales, snapping necks, and cashing checks. Uh, yeah, he, he he was going around. He was selling this to the biggest world governments in Eastern Europe, Africa, and Latin America, uh, and all of this done. And now the the Israeli government could look into all of their systems, and. They were able to watch all this, you know, play out in real time. In Latin America, for instance, Maxwell sold promise to military dictatorships in Chile and Argentina, which were used to facilitate the mass murder that characterized Operation Condor, as the friends mm-hmm. and families of dissidents and so-called subversives were easily identified using promise. Uh, promise. Wow, was so- I didn't realize this was like. I guess I never thought about that. Like I think about it a lot now in terms of like how technology can sort of aid all of these human rights abuses, but. I didn't think about it sort of back then. Yeah, these yeah. incredibly bloody, um, like, honestly, U.S.-backed, like, you know, massacres in South America. It's like, no, you got to you gotta do the paperwork for that. And it is through this software that they were doing that, yeah. you know, doing the te- technological legwork to uh, locate all these people. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that was, they were able to just root right out, right out of the, right out of the system. And they, uh, and then so they, they, so they got this, this, toy essentially from from the uh, the u.s and so that they they get it from them and they ended up doing the double flip back reverse scam and they went back and they sent maxwell to america and he sold promise software to u.s nuclear labs uh, oh great yeah and jet, and jet propulsion laboratory places he did it, he sold it to los alamos uh the sandia national laboratory which was and is at the core of the u.s nuclear weapons system mm-hmm. uh notably the eventual sale of promise to these laboratories by maxwell occurred during the same period in 1984 when Itan tasked one of israel's top experts in nuclear targeting with supervising jonathan pollard's espionage of u.s nuclear secrets on israel's behalf so this dude was getting up to getting up to some shit man he ended up meeting with henry kissinger uh lifelong asshole and uh he helped henry kissinger facilitated the sale of promise to all of these laboratories and mm-hmm. he did it using like using a 
Texas governor uh, or then senator for Texas, John Tower. And at the end of the day, they ended up paying uh, Tower 200 grand for helping sell this bug software to American yep. nuclear facilities. Right. And Mac Maxwell got paid the entire time. And if you want to look up more information on this, do so quickly because I found a news article that was showing how vast swaths of all the documentation for uh, for the, the promise uh, stuff is being taken off of uh, Freedom of Information Act where you can't get it through uh, FOIA submissions. And oh, that's it's like, good. Yeah, actively, actively being classified. Like they were like like the, the headline used the term by the minute. Uh, and then also they are starting to reject these Freedom of Information Act things on like really like bullshit, like, oh, this is filled out incorrectly. Forms are submitted at the mm -hmm. wrong time. So it's getting a lot of pushback to even find information about this. Uh, so, yeah, that's another a little, like, lesser known, uh, but definitely probably farther impacting scam. Uh, yeah. If you want to cut, it, it, it qualifies as a scam, but it's also just very uh, bad. You know, <laughs> like people die. Yeah, like that. it's it's beyond, uh, you know, getting money from people. It's like, yeah. This this guy has facilitated a profound uh, amount of like loss of life <laughs> around yeah. the world through through selling this bug software to people. Yeah. And and potentially jeopardizing, you know, the lives of of millions of other people by you know, yeah. putting it in nuclear labs and stuff. Yeah. And, and giving it to arguably like what like one of the most like. Uh, oppressive and authority like of like the top three like oppressive shitty governments like that crack down on like you know it's it, it, israel's up there it's like israel like the u.s like people who just like are kind of like not not playing in good faith a lot of time the no, all governments cops. are like that the yeah the world cops, cops. Yeah, yeah 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 exactly and so yeah that was uh that was how we spent the 1980s and that that never got brought to light while really while he was alive and even now like mm -hmm. i said it's, it's harder to get information about it so that's that's an interesting one, but this brings us into what is probably the scam that Robert Maxwell is most known for, and that was tricking the world, convincing the world that he didn't exist. No, I'm kidding. That's, uh, that's <laughs> Satan. Um, so yeah, in July 1984, Maxwell acquired Mirror Group Newspapers. It's a publisher of six British newspapers, including the Daily Mirror, uh, I believe like the Reed International Pick, and then uh, that was in direct competition with the Rupert uh, Murdoch-owned uh, news of the world and the sun. So the sun was a right leaning conservative newspaper and the mirror was generally like the more left leaning, like, uh, you know, uh, le left leaning, uh, opponent to that one, you know, the, the counterpoint, mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. So he bought that and he started immediately saying that he was going to set it up as like to be a voice for the left wing and the labor party. And it, didn't really ever happen. Uh, sure. Like, I mean, based on this guy's uh, representation of the Labor Party, I'm I'm I, yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised he didn't really stick with that. Yeah. And so he, he gets in there and he he does this very public campaign where he's like, I'm going to, you know, revolutionize the way we're doing things around here. Uh, but he he came in first thing he did was like break the unions, uh, the reporters' unions and you know, and all the journalist unions. He broke those, uh, forced them to take wild ass. I love uh, I love representing the Labor Party by immediately breaking, yeah, immediately unions. busting up unions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, just yeah, way to get in there, man. Yeah, he so he gets in there. He like it immediately starts like also using it to like kind of like take. Uh, he says like his stated goal is like he wants to surpass uh, the the sun and, mm -hmm. and overtake it in sales. So he's going through this. Well. Because his whole life was just always like essentially he had like the later half of his life it was one big Henry Hill moment. Uh, he mm -hmm. gets in there and he immediately starts basically taking loans out against the pension funds of everybody that everybody that works there, taking these yeah. huge loans that loans out. He gets into like a, over a billion pounds owed to like Lehman Brothers, Goldman Sachs, uh, various banks with uh, in and around Psycho. Europe. Yeah, and he, yeah. He this gets... guy, like, if there's one thing I have learned of all of this, is he will leverage every single like coin that he gets his hands on. Like, this guy is like, yeah, gonna gonna take out as many loans against whatever you give him. Uh, you know, because it's yeah, that yep. that's wild against pensions too. Just. The most yeah. evil thing you can possibly it, do. It really is. And like, again, all I know, like really about pension funds is that I have a small one. And that <laughs> also that like, it's always like, it's always the plot in things like this or in movies. It's like, Oh, the, the, the pension funds. Like, and so it's like, am I to believe there's just cash laying around like at these places where they can just dip into like, that would be hard to not be like, well, we do have 48 million in the pension fund. You know what I'm saying? Like, like yeah. I, 
I could. I'm not saying I would do that shit. I'm just saying I could be like, yeah, I, well, I can see it. You just have that available. It's because it's like it's a huge amount of money that you don't have to demonstrate that you own until the people who are receiving the pensions are old enough to receive them. I think that's yeah. why. Yeah, they yeah. Go, it's, it's, you know, through so much uh, corruption and stuff is because it's like, it's a huge amount of money that you don't have to actually pay for years and years and years and years. So it's really easy to, yeah. to, to over leverage and just be like, well, you know, we'll make the money back by the time these need to pay out. And yeah, I would imagine most not always of them, the case. Yeah. Most of them are probably like, yeah, yeah, I can fix it. It's not like they're like, oh, I'm going to steal these people's retirement fund. I mean, which it that is is what they're doing. They're lying to themselves, but that's not right. – I'm sure in their head, they're like, I'm just going to take it out. I'm going to fix this problem, and everything's right. going to be good again. Which yeah. is like, yo, yo, true scumbag behavior, dude. I've been there. It's like, let me just go ahead and yeah. overdraft my – I'll overdraft my account. I'll take care of this. I'll just I'll, – I'll buckle down oh. for a week, and I'll get everything back in order. It's like, been the strategic there. strategic overdraft. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, some a move from my past. Yeah, uh, yeah Hopefully, yeah. hopefully, never to return. But I've definitely done that. <laughs> definitely done well, was, the intentional strategic overdraft yeah. before. Man, I remember when I found out about it. It was July Fourth weekend. I think it was like eighteen, and we were going like you know we were getting ready for July Fourth. We we're gonna go crazy, and I like I was I was gonna get paid like the next day, and I was like broke that mm-hmm. day. I was like shit. So I went to the bank and I think I had like under 20 bucks. So it was one of those things where you had to go to the register and get it. You know, you had to go to the, the clerk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ATM <laughs> won't even pay you out. Your yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go in there to get my 18 fucking dollars and I'm like sitting there and I get, you know, get ready to go to the lake and like looking like I'm getting ready to go to the lake. And the girl goes, she just goes, well, you know, you do have overdraft protection. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Let me get like 40 bucks. She's like, well, it's going to be the same fee either way. So you might as well use the whole thing for 200. And I was like, you know what? I should do that. Yeah. Solid point. That's what I should do. And that is, you get that, that, that fucking cycle where you're like, this check is just paying the last check. It is a precarious yeah, place to be in folks. It's the same as like payday loans or something. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, a, exact. Yeah. It's a nightmare. Just can't. Yeah. yeah. Don't do it. Learn from, learn from Pat and I. Yeah. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Don't do it. And, and, yeah. It can really, really take a while to get not upside down on that shit. So, yeah, but yeah, so that's the position he's in. So he does this and he does it in like some pretty wild ass ways that like that really absolve him of all like um, sympathies, you know, like I, not yeah. that I have a sympathy for the guys it is, but we're so while he, while he's taking these, these, these pensions out, he's getting these huge fucking loans from them. He's also, and he's in financial ruin. He ends up selling his, he had a controlling share at MTV Europe that he sold in 1990, probably arguably the worst time to sell yeah. your shares at MTV. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Really? And he knew it too. Oof. It wasn't like he was like, oh, that company will never do anything. Like everybody knew. Like MTV was already big. It was 1990. Like he he had to sell that shit. And like that, that must be that's got to be a, a, a tough shot to take. Because you're like, fuck, man, that's <laughs> that's music television. That's uh, got to be pretty big. Yeah. And so he moves in. So yeah, so he, he sells that, and then he ends up. Uh, Taking all of the pension, basically, essentially the pension funds, leveraging them for loans. Then he says that he should, for his entire Rupert, like, or his uh, uh, Maxwell Media Corporation, uh, he decides that he should take all the pension funds and move it into a Liechtenstein-based company that he owned called, it was BMI Body Mass Index? No, that's not what it was called. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm back at my records. It was like, uh, it was the... Something the effect of like the Maxwell brokerage group or something that okay. that that effect, and he gets he gets that he moves all the money into there, and then he he who he places one person in control of all of the investing done out of that account, and that is drumroll himself. So he's mm-hmm. now in charge of all these people's pension funds, and then as the right, you know, as, he's like, no, we're gonna invest the money. We're just going to yeah. invest it all in one single company. Yeah. And by coincidence, it's my company, and I'm in yeah. charge of it. I own that but company, it's an investment. Yeah. I'm not stealing yeah. your money. It's an investment. Yeah, yeah. You guys, you know, give, give me your retirement fund, or else you're leaving money on the table. You know, like I thought, right. oh, I'm sorry, I thought you wanted a good retirement. Uh, <laughs> but so he ends up like, so he ends up getting these all of his money into one spot, literally all of his eggs in one basket. He's running. He's running the the whole ordeal. Yeah. Uh, then he starts releasing videos to like all these companies that he owns, which I think he, I believe he said it was up close to four hundred like companies and corporations under mm-hmm. the umbrella of his uh, Maxwell Media Group. Mm-hmm. So he he, he ends up um, 
sending out videos to all of the employees that he's like, hey, guys, now is the time to actually buy more stock. Put more money into your <laughs> retirement fund. Because, yeah, yeah uh, daddy's looking a little light. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need you to kick some more Psycho. bread of this away. Uh, that's a direct quote from the, from the video. Um, so, yeah, he gets he does that. He gets, he gets all this money. And then uh, you know, as, it, as it comes, uh, one of the reporters at the Mirror, he's, no, he's not even a reporter. He's a financial director. The financial director at the Mirror ends up noticing some inconsistencies in the books, does an investigation into it, and sees that, you know, essentially that the the, the cases, the, the place is about to just fall, go directly under. He yeah. uncovers the uh, pension fund scam. So he doesn't break it publicly. He ends up, but he, he notifies authorities. Uh, mm-hmm. All the banks start calling the loans in. The Swiss, uh, the Swiss bank uh, uh, ends up um, qu- like, like the, the Define their neutrality essentially, and like they call it the fraud squad to like look into them. And so this is all in 1991, and all this is happening. He's hearing reports of this, like you know, like like not it's not it's not public, but he's getting the calls on the red phone. Like, hey man, the, the gig the jig is up essentially. Something's up, yeah. Everybody's yeah. calling in these loans. All of a sudden, somebody's gotten wise to this, yeah. Yeah. So so he's like, all right, man, cool. Well, here's what I'm gonna do. He's like, I'm gonna go out on my on my yacht. Uh, it's called the Lady Ghislaine after my youngest daughter, whom I love and will always make great decisions for the rest of the time <laughs> she's alive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so November 4th, 1991, uh, Maxwell ends up having an argumentative phone call with his son, Kevin, over a meeting. Oh, and his boy, Kevin, was like running everything. And it's like it's highly suspected that Kevin had to know what the hell was going on. So sure. Yeah. Kevin, yeah, Kevin and him were supposed to meet with the Bank of England uh, the next day uh, after defaulting on $50 million in loans. So Maxwell missed the meeting and instead traveled to his yacht, the Lady Ghislaine, in the Canary Islands. He goes out to the Canary Islands, he gets on there, and the crew said he was in really good spirits, but he didn't bring any of his work stuff. And they said that was highly unusual. He usually came with you know his briefcase, you know, everything that was... He's uh, in the Canary he, Islands! He's on vacation. Yeah, yeah. Let him live! <laughs> Don't judge so him. Come on. Yeah. Where are you, his boss? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, last time I, yeah, last time I checked, he has the captain hat. You are steering the boat. Get the fuck up there. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so he gets out. He, he, goes, he goes on the ship. And at this point, like, everyone, like, some of the most, like, powerful lending institutions in the world really got to talk to this guy. <laughs> like, and he yeah. is on his fucking yacht just not taking calls, which, is, you yeah. know. Yeah, I get. Yeah, man, put it, put it on silent. Get some rest. I understand that. <laughs> so he, fucking, yeah, so it's like the moment before. Like they're all like, "Well, we're gonna talk to him," but unless he comes up with a real great <laughs> yeah, line yeah. bullshit for us, <laughs> this is the end of the line. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. Th- so it's it's all about to, it's all about the drop. He gets out there, and uh, at about. 4.25 a.m. on the 5th of November, Maxwell was last in contact with the crew of the Lady Ghislaine. Uh, but the next morning, they get up and they start, you know, doing a little call through the ship to get everybody uh, uh, up and aboard. They go to rouse him from his sleep, which had to have been scary, by the way, because he treated his service employees like shit, yo. Yeah. There was a reporter that said he was doing an interview with them one time, and uh, a guy, this butler, brought in his food on a, like, you know, silver tray, just classic, you know, like, uh, classic rich, rich guy British shit. guy shit. Yeah. yeah. Brings it out. He touches the food, tests the temperature, and throws the entire tray across the room. I was like, that's cold. And returns And right that's back. what he did in front of a reporter. So in front imagine of a reporter. what he yeah. did in private. That is a yeah. monster. Yeah. And then returns. Yeah, I re- do not envy the person whose job it was to yeah. wake up Robert Maxwell <laughs> on the yacht. Hey, Robert. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> so hey, he gets out there. And, and you wait? He, yeah. You wait? <laughs> yeah, no good. No good. So he goes, they go to check on him, nothing. They're like, okay, let's let him rest for a little bit. I got to go pound on this guy's door more than I have to. Um, and he was, also over the last weeks, he had been noticed being really bad health. He pretty much lived on caviar and champagne. Uh, mm. And like, and just, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he just ate smoked salmon all fucking day and just hung out. Like, yeah, he, so he was starting to get the, you eat nothing but luxury food body, <laughs> you know, to him. And like, yeah, yeah. A little bit so, of gout, you know? A little yeah. bit of gout. A lot of bit of gout, I'd say. He was just, the man was just entirely <laughs> gout. Uh, so he ends up, they, they go to finally go to check on, they open up the thing and he's not there. And the, the, the crew was like, you know, when somebody's, you don't find somebody on a boat, like you, you really got to exhaust all options before you go fucking considering they fell off the, you know, the edge of the boat. Right. Like they, start, they looked around for him and like, yeah, that wasn't, he's not there. 
And so they end up calling in. Uh, the Coast Guard comes out, or you know, the the equivalent of the Coast Guard. They come mm-hmm. out. They look around, and eventually, uh, it was. Yeah, it was uh, three days later, Maxwell's naked body was recovered in the Atlantic Ocean. And besides a graze to his left shoulder, there were no noticeable wounds on Maxwell's body. Uh, so again, another another like similarity between like his life mirroring uh, that of Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, you know, suspicious death. Suspicious so, death when, when the shit is about to when, when the shit's about to hit, hit the, the fan. fan. Yep. Yeah. Like, like, Man, there's something about a guy that just kills himself when things get going hard that's really, <laughs> I don't know what it is. It really does it for me. <laughs> So, but now people who knew Robert though said it was very unlikely that he would commit suicide. They were like, he he fancied himself able to talk himself out of anything, and they're like, he honestly probably mm. wasn't too worried about the fact that he owed a billion dollars. You know, like, he probably like he probably thought it was just a minor setback. So, mm. th- so people kind of don't don't know what happened. His his uh, his butler was like, yeah, man, he had a bad habit of going out to the edge of his yacht, which has like about a little cable that kind of su- supports it. And it's not, it's only like three feet up. It's a super low barrier. And he would just mm-hmm. lean against it and piss. And he was, he was like, uh, yeah. So he's yeah. like, man, he's like, and, and he's, like and he's shit-faced. You know, he's like, it's not uncommon to think this dude just fell off the side of the boat and nobody caught it in time. Mm-hmm. And... So that was uh, that was that. Eventually, they 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 break the they break the news story. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell does a uh, you know like a, a kind of a press release, uh, tell, you know, with the, the usual like, hey guys, thanks for your kindness, blah 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 blah. Uh, people started pouring it out, talking about well, what a character the guy was. You know, he's like he was interesting. Everybody kind of had one of those things like, yeah, he was an asshole, but he's dead. Like whatever. Like we're gonna talk nice about him. Right. Right. And what was funny was. Uh, although Ghislaine Maxwell was like, by all accounts, his his favorite kid, even though his sons ran the business, his favorite kid, Ghislaine, the one he named the yacht after, the one who he is the only picture he had hanging in his office was of Ghislaine, and of, that was yeah. the only one, the one he loved the most. He all, but he he didn't love her enough to break his long held uh, views on inheritance, and so his his sons ended up getting the company. Uh, right when it was breaking that, oh, hey, you guys actually spent 400 million of people's uh, pension funds. Right. Out of, out of, out of he, pension I fund. mean, so if Ghislaine was his favorite, maybe he was doing her a favor if he's like, you guys all have to deal with yeah, this. Yeah, that, that was one thing people people thought about because, yeah, they, they were not able to save the company. Uh, the British government ended up having to bail them out. Uh, mm-hmm. They bailed them out, but it was only, I believe they only bailed out like a hundred million. It was a hundred million they bailed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, yeah, so many people got screwed. Uh, so many people did not get their money. Uh, yeah. You know, it, just, just workers for his, his media companies, you know, the, which, which includes everything from on-screen personalities down to fucking uh, delivery truck drivers. You know, like it's yeah. like people who are just like, like it's very working class people. And that was who got their, their living ripped away from them. And then his sons ended up uh, going on trial for their involvement in the whole scam. And they were actually uh, found innocent uh, or not guilty, I should say. They were found not guilty on in 1996. And uh, but they did file for both. They did end up filing for bankruptcy and uh, they were uh, charged for, like I said, conspiracy to defraud, but were unanimously acquitted by a 12 person jury. Um, after his death, he kind of became like uh a, 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 a punching bag of, of, the, of the media people like he was not a popular person uh well, yeah i pe- mean think about who owns most of the media it's rupert murdoch so they're yeah, like exa- yeah. <laughs> good to yeah. all systems go on uh, dragging this guy through yeah. as much mud as you possibly can like fuck this guy yeah breaking yeah. fat dickhead falls off boat or kills yeah. himself details <laughs> either kills himself in shame or humiliatingly falls off of his boat either yeah, way yeah. A- fucking asshole good riddance yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, when he died, that's when like all these like heads of state started coming out and being like, "Oh man, that guy really helped us out a lot." You know? What I mean? like, <laughs> yeah, Gorbachev. Yeah, was, Gorbachev. We'll miss and, him. Uh, we'll miss his intelligence. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, material. His smart gotten spy craft. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the generational talent when it came to people, uh, you know, being being a total just uh, moralist piece of shit, and we're yeah. gonna miss that guy. Uh, <laughs> There was actually a BBC drama that uh, st- uh, that eventually uh, was produced about his life, and the person that played him, uh, David Suchet, won the International Emmy Award for Best Actor as his oh, first portrayal of Maxwell Goodfriend. So something good came of it. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, we all know where this story goes. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, now uh, broke and kind of away from her father's money, there, which there was none, uh, is now forced to cut out a life for herself in New York City. And she falls into the... 
you know, the, the, the realm of a guy with a lot of money and a lot of personal demons and a very evil person. And, you know, you kind of wonder, like, if he let her inherit the company, would her fighting the bankruptcy, would she have found her way to sustain herself without falling into the, with the likes of, of Epstein? Or if he didn't die, if he would have stayed alive, let's say he did kill himself or just didn't take a piss over the side of the boat. If he stayed alive, what would, how would that have impacted? Would she have felt the need to, you know, uh, seek the financial security of Epstein and eventually aid and abet like all his horrible crimes? I don't know. It'd be a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, alternate history stuff to consider there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she's like she's kind of an inscrutable figure as a person. Like what what her what she was getting out of her relationship with Epstein is like very sort of hard to figure out, you know? Like yeah. I think I think it is like some kind of daddy issue and like it sounds like like Jeffrey Epstein, Robert Maxwell's real strength was in forging connections with people and like working kind of working people over with with sort of charm and manipulation and when he owned media companies also potentially sort of blackmail and stuff like that which is like what is sort of purported to be epstein's mo so you know she really she really found somebody who was very similar in a lot of ways it's uh it's really interesting but it all it also really fuels like a lot of the sort of intriguing conspiracy stuff about epstein the fact that Gillane's dad was documented to be involved with all these intelligence agencies like that it's it's such a crazy story that that's kind of where she ended up and like whether she had those connections through her father like it's just I I really don't know what to make of any of it but the fact that this is where she comes from is a really fascinating element of that story for sure. Yeah, it, it also made, and they said that one of the reasons that he like favored her so much over his other children was that she was, um, she he said she was the most like him, and mm. they, like I'm sure that the 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 traits that he saw of himself and her were all of, like what the traits about himself that he admired, uh, but like people around him saw the traits that were probably less favorable, which, which were most of his traits, just like the you right. know, the, the, the so it was like like she. It's almost like maybe she would have been drawn to that to Epstein anyways because she's like her dad like understands the po- the power of connections. I had read something yeah. where she uh, when she was broke in New York uh, at, right after her dad died, she was living in, in the city and was just had no money, and so she threw a like a, a very fancy costly brunch for like these mover and shaker women in New York, mm-hmm. essentially just trying to find friends. And like one of the ladies they were interviewing was like, yeah, like. It was like it was it was obvious to me what she was doing, but you know, like she was like trying to insert herself into this like the rich and powerful class and just look for something. And so she definitely, I think, inherited those traits of how to find, identify, and exploit people as well. That might have been what drew her to Jeffrey, like you know, yeah. That was the yeah. fact that they 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 were they were so alike, and maybe she wasn't. It was less of like a, oh, I need your help or I need your support. It's like, hey, you're one of the few people that's evil as fuck, just like me. <laughs> like, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. But uh, yeah. it's wild, yeah. That um, I'm gonna have to look up more of that stuff about that promise software. That's wild. There, that's so there crazy. is, yes, yeah, so much more about that. It, 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 it's, uh, it's very interesting and far-reaching. And yeah, it might, might wind up uh, on one of our episodes that we get, we go deeper into it. But that's that. Uh, worth it. This will be one of those weird ones where it doesn't apply because it was just his whole life was living your life worth it. I don't know, you know, probably. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, I if you. Dying drunk, shit faced, peeing off the side of your huge yacht in the Canary Islands, like not the worst way to go. <laughs> yeah, like, there there are worse ways to die. I think. Um, if all I heard, yeah, was the, definitely evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If all I heard was that outcome, I mean, like nobody told me like how they. If nobody told me the the means, and I just heard the end, and it was die pissing <laughs> off a yacht in the Canary Islands. I'd be like, I right, fuck it, whatever. I don't, I don't care what I had to do to get there. Right. Like, that's yeah. the end when they're talking about whether the ends justify the means. Like yeah, that yeah, is yeah. a pretty good end. You could, yeah, you good. could have an argument about it. You, you got to dig deep. You got to dig di- pretty deep in your bag of tricks to pull something out where I'd be like, Oh yeah, that's not worth it. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> so yeah, that yeah. is the story of Robert Maxwell and uh, a bit of a light cursory one too. You can go back. There's really good uh, documentaries out there about him uh, mm. that are just really interesting to watch. He, it looks like he was, doing that thing that happens a lot where they were filming a documentary before he died or filming like yep. a news piece on him before he died. So there's a lot of footage from the, uh, the events surrounding the mirror pension scandal, like as mm-hmm. it's unfolding and it's really interesting to watch. Also, he's a hell, he's a wild looking character, um, dyed his hair and eyebrows, like 
close to almost every day for his entire life. If he saw a gray Incredible. hair, he would have somebody come in and put a fresh schlack of dye on there. <laughs> and like wow. his butler, his butler who they interview a lot was like, I, you know, he's like, I just, he would call a guy in, pay him hundreds of dollars to do that. He's like, literally could have just did it himself. <laughs> <You know? laughs> nope. I mean, he could have had an alarm clock too, but he had a slave yeah, 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 wake yeah, him yeah, up. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Also that's a good, yeah. Wait till after he's dead to say that you bring that up at that point while he's alive. That's a good way to not have a job anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that is the story of Robert Maxwell. Uh, that if you guys enjoyed that and you like the sort of thing, uh, if, if you're into that sort of thing, we uh, we do have a, a Patreon where you can get two more episodes a month if you subscribe to that. We do two free episodes here on the on the feed, and then of course you can sign up and get two more and access to a really big and, and ever growing back catalog. Uh, we'll have that. We're yeah, also over sixty, I believe, at the moment. Over, over yeah, 60 over sixty bonus episodes available uh, when you sign up five dollars a month on Patreon. Yeah, come on with it, five five even, man. Just come on through, and uh, <laughs> and we uh, we got th- we got that going on. Also, you can find us on Twitter. We're at LCS Podcast, and I'm on Twitter at, at PZTX. I have another podcast. It's called Good at Plants, Bad at Life, and it's a new one that I've been working on with a very insanely knowledgeable and uh, fun guy that I, I I know who is a professional horticulturalist and knows everything about plants and is fascinated by them and just wants a podcast where he can talk about them. So if you have plants, grow plants, look at plants, like them, are fond of them. Tune in, listen, you'll learn some really cool facts. And if you do grow plants, you'll find some very expert information on why those things keep dying and how to make it stop happening. So you can look that up. Uh, I'll be on tour throughout the southern states. February 10th to the 20th, I'm going to like Florida, South Carolina, Virginia. Um, I believe there's an Alabama thrown in there as well. I think there's a Tennessee, but I'll have that information up on my Twitter and Instagram as well. And uh, you can check that out. If you're a listener, come on out to the show and get yourself a lie, cheat and steal koozie. Uh, Kath, you got anything coming up? Yeah, um, I have another podcast called What a Time to Be Alive. It's a weekly podcast about stupid news stories from the past week. We also do a bonus episode every week on our Patreon um, you can find that wherever you find podcasts. What a time to be alive. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Kath Barbadoro. Um, I don't have any shows coming up at the moment, but when I do, I will post them there. Um, our next paid protest, which is the monthly free show uh, I run in. Sorry, not free. It's a benefit. That's what I meant. It's I. It's free for me. I don't make money <laughs> out of it. Um, paid protests are monthly benefit show uh, that we run at the Secret Loft on 14th Street. The next one is going to be in February. Uh, so definitely come out to that, and uh, we'll raise money for some some worthy lefty uh, causes. So uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Nice, nice. Well, uh, yeah, guys, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. I hope you're having a fun, safe, productive New Year. Uh, yeah, man, be safe out there. Be smart, but above all, don't get caught. Don't get caught. See you next time.